Would you please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? If you do not have a Bible, we would like to offer one to you this morning. And if the ushers please could help me with this, we'd like to make it a gift to you. So does anybody need a Bible? Raise your hand. You're going to need one for this sermon. If you did not bring one this morning, please raise your hand and keep your hand raised. And guys, would you please uh, identify the hands that are being raised here, right down here in the front. And uh, there's some Bibles here. Thank you so much, ushers, for serving us. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, right down here in the front, guys. There's a couple more. Thank you for turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And thank you for being here with us on this beautiful Easter morning. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, this is a gift to you from Palm Vista Community Church. There is no more important book in the world for you to read, for you to believe, and for you to obey. And we gather today to celebrate Christ's resurrection from the dead. And to that end, I would like to read verses 1 through 8 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In fact, this entire chapter is often called the resurrection chapter. But reading from verses 1 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. God wants you this morning to live in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, living in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ includes celebrating it once a year. But it's far more than that. It means living daily in the reality of Christ's resurrection. Let me give you an illustration, if I might, to try to explain that. Recently, my mom gave me a card from an old friend of mine. Those of you who can read, you'll see that the front says Luftpost. So it came from Germany. This friend is, is someone that I served in the military with back in the late 70s. His name is Erwin Ehm. And, and back then, he was a lieutenant with the 3rd German Corps, and I was a lieutenant with the 557th Field Artillery Group. And, and as I thought about Irwin and his family, it brought back some great memories. And one of the, the nicest memories of being stationed in Germany those three and a half years was of a particular holiday that I loved to celebrate. And that holiday was the 4th of July. And there's something special about gathering together and celebrating a very distinctly American holiday on foreign soil. As a matter of fact, it was probably, probably the most fun that we looked forward to back then. As an officer, I would go out and buy all the, the, the food and the beverages, and we'd organize games, and all the troops would come, and we'd invite all of our German friends. Erwin Ehm was one of them. And we would grill hot dogs, and we would teach the Germans how to play baseball, which they thought was hilarious. And then we would toast 
the independence of the great United States of America. And the Germans, man, they loved it, especially the beverages. And they would toast with us. And we would have a blast all day long. But the next day, for the Germans, it was over. They did not live in the reality of the independence of the United States of America. Why? Because they weren't American citizens. But for us, for us, the next day, the reality of that independence was very much in front of us. As a matter of fact, we were stationed in Germany because of the independence of the United States of America, because of the Constitution that was signed back in 1776, and we agreed to defend it. And back then, we were on the point of the spear defending America from the Soviet threat that was right across the border from us. So the reality of what we were celebrating was very much with us the next day. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference between someone who celebrates once a year of the reality of Christ's resurrection, yay, but doesn't live the reality of it every day of their life. God wants you to live the reality of the resurrection of Christ every single day of your life. That is God's desire for you. The reason the Germans didn't celebrate it is because they were not citizens of the United States of America. The reason we did is because we are, we're citizens of the United States of America. And God, God's, God's word to you that today is to celebrate the daily reality of Christ's resurrection as a citizen of the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, if you have the notes in front of you, the first point is to live in the reality of Christ's resurrection means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. As it says in point one, Christ's resurrection is at the heart of the gospel, and the gospel is what makes us citizens of the kingdom of God. Makes us citizens of the kingdom of God. We read in verses three and four these wonderful words, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Do you see that this, this is what makes us citizens of the kingdom of God, that our sins are forgiven. Christ's resurrection, living in the reality of Christ's resurrection, means that you've been given a new citizenship. Your sins have been forgiven you. You have a new identity. Therefore, you should celebrate Christ's resurrection as a daily reality. Skipping down to verse 20 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says the following. For in Christ, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, now catch this, when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom, the kingdom of God, to God the Father, after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. Verse 25, for he must reign until all his enemies... He he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says the following. The sting of death is sin, 
and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so living in the daily reality of Christ's resurrection means living as a citizen of the kingdom of God, and you are able to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God because Christ died for your sins. His death for your sins made you a citizen. And the certification of that citizenship isn't a passport in the natural. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the spiritual. So living in the daily reality of Christ's resurrection is living as a citizen of the kingdom of God. That's the first gift that God wants to give you this morning. And if you're here, if you're here as a foreigner, like my German friends, who enjoy celebrating once a year this peculiar holiday that these people called Americans celebrate and play these funny games like baseball and grill hot dogs, and you enjoy it maybe once a year. Oh, friend, God has more for you. Thank you for being here. It begins with that. But what God has for you is to make you a citizen of that nation so that you no longer would be a foreigner alien to the kingdom of God, an enemy actually of God, but you would become a citizen. See, see, the first reality of the resurrection of Christ is that he makes us citizens or his sons and daughters, participants, part of his family, part of his kingdom. I pray that for you. If you don't know him, I pray that for you, that he would give you that gift, that that's the first reality you would celebrate because If you don't celebrate that reality of the resurrection of Christ, quite frankly, you're not going to celebrate it tomorrow morning. I mean, there was no reason for Erwin Eam as a German to think about being a citizen of the U.S. every day of his life. It didn't matter to him. Our laws weren't pertinent to him. Our government wasn't important to him. The German government was. But it was to me as a citizen. May the kingdom of God be important to you. May the first reality of the resurrection of Christ that hits you this morning is that through that resurrection, your sins are forgiven. God accepts you into his kingdom. And Christ's resurrection certifies that. Certifies that payment. Well, point two. Living in the, in the reality of Christ's resurrection means that you will be bodily resurrected as well. Christ's resurrection means that you will be resurrected physically. Look at verses 50 through 53 in 1 Corinthians 15. Verses 50 through 53. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Jesus Christ's resurrection points to our resurrection. That's what these verses tell us. His resurrected body connects our mortal body now with the immortal body in the life to come. Now, what what does that mean? What does that look like? We'll look at verse 42. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says this. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. 
your body on this earth has an expiration date. Like the milk that we buy, one day it will perish. One day you will perish. And the point that Christ is making here, that God is making through Paul, is that the perishable body that we have is so perishable, but one day, friend, it will be raised imperishable. No expiration date on our immortal bodies. It is sown in dishonor, the dishonor of sin. It is raised in the glory of God's kingdom that is perfect. It is sown in weakness. We are so weak. It is raised in power. Look further what Scripture says about this resurrection body that you and I will have. Look at verse 44. It, the resurrection body of the Christian, is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, that's Jesus. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. This body will return to the dust, dear friend, and so will yours. And... As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Here's the good news. Here's the reality of the resurrection I pray you experience daily. Your physical body has a perishable date. It will join the dust. But if the reality of a new citizenship in the kingdom of God through Christ is yours, you have something to look forward to, a body that will never perish you will be like the heavenly one. Don't you see? Jesus is the example for us. He has a resurrected body. And so will we. So the second reality of the resurrection of Christ from the dead is that we will have a resurrected body. And that's a very, very important reality for you to live. Because the third reality of the resurrection of Christ is this. Christ's resurrection, point three, has moral implications for how we live on this earth. Christ's resurrection has moral implications for how we live on this earth. Why? Well, if you recall, first reality of the resurrection of Christ, we have a new citizenship. He's forgiven our sins on the cross. That forgiveness has been certified by God by raising Him from the dead. New citizenship. That has huge implications. Second, second reality of the resurrection of Christ is that as he was resurrected from the dead bodily, so will we be bodily resurrected from the dead. That has a moral implication for how we live in our bodies on this earth. It has implications for how we live in this body on earth this earth. In the movie The Gladiator, Russell Crowe plays the Roman general Maximus. And in the opening scene of the movie, Maximus leads his army in battle against the army of Germania. And as he mounts his horse and joins his troops who are awaiting a deadly charge through fire against this vicious army, as he's preparing to address men who very well may die, These are his words. Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. 
what we do in life echoes in eternity. See, the third, the third reality of the resurrection of Christ is that because he was raised bodily and because we will be raised bodily, what we do in our body on this earth will matter in eternity. Now, that's, that was foreign to the Corinthians then, and to be honest with you, it's foreign to us now. Now, come on, don't, don't get all religious on me. When I look in the mirror, first thing I go is, ah, oh, age is a bummer, man. <laughs> Particularly if my shirt is off, I'm going, oof. And I'm getting these splotches on my arm. I mean, like I'm just decaying right in front of you, okay? But, but then I start thinking. And I start thinking, but I'm going to heaven. All right. But then I think, but what about my body? What will heaven be like? And the first thing that comes to my mind, it's actually very biblical, well, as soon as I die, my spirit my disembodied soul will go to be with the Lord, but this body will go into a grave. Okay. But what I don't have as easy of a time imagining is, one day when Jesus comes back, this body will be resurrected, and my disembodied, immortal soul will be connected with my body, only now my body will be immortal to match my immortal soul. Immortal soul goes to heaven. Mortal body dies. Jesus comes back. Boom, mortal body gets raised to immortality. Immortal soul joins mortal body, and I live forever and ever in a new heaven and a new earth. A physical new heaven and a new earth. Does not compute. Disc error. Fatal blue screen for you IBM guys that still haven't gone Mac. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it does, it, it locks up the system, baby. But listen to me carefully. Jesus is our example in this. What happened to Jesus? He's on the cross. What were his last words? It is finished, but along with that, what what did he say? Into thy hand I commit my spirit. Where did his body go? In a grave. That's what's going to happen to you if you're a Christian. When you die... When the expiration by date comes up for you, I don't know what the date it is for you, but whatever date God stamped on your body, boom, expires by. That day comes. Could be tonight. Isn't that exciting? Could be tomorrow. Could be 30 years from now. When that day comes, your body goes into the grave, your spirit goes immediately to be with the Lord. Hey, Al, well, there's proof right there. Your physical body doesn't get resurrected. We live in heaven forever and ever. Disembodied souls playing harps. No. It's not the end of the story. That's the intermediate stage. Because what happened to Jesus three days later? His immortal soul, as as a human, joined his body, now resurrected. So now you have a resurrected soul, a resurrected body, immortal, with an immortal soul together. Has that happened to anybody else yet? No, the answer is no. If someone said yes, hit him and go, man, come on, dude. No, not yet. But Jesus is... The example for us. So even though it's hard for me, what will I look like in heaven? I think, surely, Lord, I'll be a little thinner in heaven. I'm not going to have these splotches, am I? Will my my hair be gray? Will my back hurt like it hurts right now? Will I finally be able to dunk the basketball? Yes. (laughs) 
I don't know. But what I do know is this. It's going to happen. Now, here's the kicker. The Corinthians had a hard time believing that, and so do you. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. You have this curious verse here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Turn in your Bibles to that verse, please. If you don't have a Bible, look at your neighbor's Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Paul is writing to them, and he says, Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? What? So let me ask you a question. What were were they not believing? They were not believing that a Christian's body would be raised from the dead. You see, they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead, but they believed what was the common belief in the first century, that your soul is immortal, but your body is not. Therefore, what you do in your body doesn't matter in eternity because the body is material. Material is basically evil. Why would God raise that? He's only going to raise your soul. So as a matter of fact, what they believed is the very senses that God has given you can only be enjoyed on this side of the grave. They won't follow you into eternity. So you know what? You know what they believed? Eat, drink, and be merry because tomorrow you die. So even the Christians were saying, it doesn't matter how I live physically on this earth as long as my soul is made eternal. I got my passport. I'm in the kingdom. I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. I believe he rose from the dead. My soul will be immortal. My body is going to stay here. Party time. (laughs) Not that I drink this, but the Bud commercial, it's on. All right? The the, the case of Bud comes and everybody, That's a lie. It's a lie we've believed. It's a lie we've believed. It's a lie we've believed. Look at verse 32b. Interesting. Jumping to verse 32b. I want to hear those pages rustling. 32b. Thank you. Paul is saying, guys, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And what's his next words? Verse 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right. And do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. What he's saying is, guys, you believe the currency of the day. Let us eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. All that matters is my soul is going to be saved in heaven. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. I got it both. I get to go to heaven, and I get to party like a rock star on earth. Paul saying, wrong. Maximus wasn't a Christian. Although when he spoke those words, it was about 163 A.D. I think he was influenced by somewhat by Christianity at that point. But he got it right. Brothers, what we do in this life matters in eternity. What you do in this life matters in eternity. Why? Because your body will be resurrected. And if you do not have a robust belief in that, then that has serious moral implications for you today. You are weak when it comes to the sins of the flesh. And you've just described America and American Christianity. And you definitely have described Miami, South Florida. See, Corinth was just like Miami. It was a port city that loved to party with many internationals. Come on, guys. What's the one thing South Florida is known for? South Beach. That says it all. Why do you want to have the Super Bowl here? Because it's a great party. 
What's the first place people want to go when they come here? South Beach. It's a party. So the belief that what I do in my body doesn't really matter because my soul will go to heaven makes us sick. No, no, it does better. It makes us drunk. That's what this verse 33 says. We're in a drunken stupor. Just kind of stumbling around. Spending the resources that God has given us as we want. Thinking that it doesn't matter who we hurt. All that matters is that we're getting drunk and we're going to have a party. But invariably, we're driving down the road drunk at three in the morning. And we swerve into the wrong lane and kill somebody or hurt them real badly and ourselves. And God says, wake up. Wake up. The gospel, which the resurrection is at the heart of, the resurrection of Christ, that your body will be resurrected. These truths have moral implications for you today. I I know there's some of you right now that are suffering as almost in a drunken stupor with sins of the flesh. I know that. At times, it's fuzzy to me. It's hard to break out. It's hard to live with eternity in view. The riches, the cares, and the pleasures of this world stupefy us, don't they? He, he calls it a drunken stupor. It's a great, a great illustration. Just think of a drunk stumbling around on South Beach. But, but the good news is, friends, Jesus did rise from the dead. And, and he offers you the reality of this resurrection power to wake you up. To wake you up. To wake you up. Now, I just want to offer you a thought that might further help wake you up. Here's the thought. One day, we're still on point three, one day this Jesus who rose from the dead will come back to judge us. Just just jot these scriptures down there under, under point three. Acts 17, 30 through 32. If you have a Bible, please flip to Acts 17, 30 through 32. Acts 17, 30 through 32. Why am I talking about this? Because I want you to get a hangover helper right now. Desi and I have dates sometimes on Monday mornings, and we were in uh, Juice Blends over in Miramar, and we were ordering our little morning uh, you know, smoothie, our little health smoothie. guy right behind us comes in and says, I'll take the hangover helper. <laughs> hangover helper, you know, hydrate that hangover. Well, this is a hangover helper. May it it clear the cobwebs. Make your vision come back into focus. Acts 17, 30 through 32. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day in which he will what? Judge the world in righteousness. By whom? A man whom he has appointed. Well, who is that man? And And of this he has given assurance to all. By raising him, that man from the dead. Well, who do you think that is? Christ. 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 God will judge the world by a man whom he has appointed by raising him from the dead. That man is Jesus. Now jot down Romans. Romans 14, 9 through 12. Romans 14, 9 through 12. Romans 14, 9 through 12. Go to Acts and make a right. 
For to this end, Christ died and lived again. Boy, it sounds like 1 Corinthians 15, right? For to this end, Christ died and lived again. Why? That he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. He is Lord. It's his kingdom. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? Now, here's the kicker. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Let that hydrate your hangover this morning. Verse 11. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Friends, friends, wake up. You're going to give an account of yourself to God. Yeah, Al, but not in my physical body. Okay, fine. Jot this down. 2 Corinthians 5.10. 2 Corinthians 5.10. If you're at Romans, keep making it right. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Of whom? Of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether evil or good. You will answer for what you do with the money God has given you, the body God has given you, the children God has given you, the job God has given you, the talent God has given you. It is not for you to spend like a drunken sailor on leave. It is for you to steward as a citizen of the kingdom of God, living the reality of the gospel every day of your life, living the reality of Christ's resurrection every day of your life. You can't just go out and charge everything you want thinking that the bill will never come. It's coming. You're going to answer. That's what the resurrection does for me. Wakes me up. Boy, it clears the head. And finally, last book of the Bible. Revelation. Write down Revelation 14, 13. Revelation 14, 13. Last book of the Bible. Easy to find. Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this. So listen to heaven speaking to you this morning. Write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for, now listen to these words, their deeds will follow them. For their deeds follow them. Maximus had it right. Brothers, what you do in this life follows echoes into eternity. What kind of echo will your life make at the judgment seat of Christ on the last day? What will that echo sound like? It will make it. Mark it down. Mark it down. Living the reality of Christ's resurrection means that we stop living in the unreality that this world is all there is. Christians then believed it. We tacitly kind of sort of believe it which is the reason why we're so stuck oftentimes in our sin. And God wants to gently wake you up so that you might live in freedom as a citizen of the kingdom of God. The resurrection of Christ connects this life with the life to come. It is the reason for our celebration this resurrection morning. It is the subject of our text in 1 Corinthians 15. It is the hope for change. Christ's resurrection is the hope change. If you're here this morning, I don't want you to be hopeless. I don't want you to despair. Those scriptures about the judgment of Christ are all true, but listen. Christ makes peace with you now. He saves you now. He gives you that entrance into the kingdom of God now. Settle accounts with Him now, because we're all going to settle them on that day. But if we settle them now, even though what we do in the body does matter, We will inherit heaven 
based on his good works, based on his sacrifice, and based on the fact that God the Father accepted it by raising him from the dead. So settle it now. Oh, I beg you, friend. I know there are many guests this morning. Perhaps the Christian uh, world, it's just not, it's not current for you. If you're like the Germans, it's a one-day celebration. You enjoy it. Let's go have a nice Easter meal, and that's it. But I pray that tomorrow it will be a reality for you as you become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Right now. Today. Which leads me to point four. Final point. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you believe that Christ's resurrection means that your body will be resurrected, and if you live in this reality with the moral implications that it speaks to you and me for what we do in this body, how we handle the money God has given us and the treasures and the talents and the time, then listen, listen friend, here's, here's the promise for you. Christ's resurrection gives us hope for a life with eternal meaning. Christ's resurrection gives us a hope for a life with eternal meaning. See, living in the reality of Christ's resurrection means living in the hope of life with eternal meaning. Listen carefully to these references. I'm going to go back into the body of 1 Corinthians 15 and listen to them, listen to the hope that we do have. Now, the first example, it's going to be given to us in sort of a negative fashion at the beginning, but listen carefully. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised... Then our preaching is in vain. That word vain there can be translated without purpose, empty, meaningless, aimless. And your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. What Paul is saying is, Corinthians, if you say that a Christian's body is not raised, then what you're saying is that Christ wasn't raised. They're going, oh, no, no, I don't mean to say that. But that's what you're saying. So don't say that. Because if Christ isn't raised... We're in a deep mess. But what I want you to hear while I'm reading this, Christ is raised. So turn all of these around on their head. Okay? So he's just, he's arguing with them from the negative. Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. That word futile there means fruitless. And you are still in your sins. Whoa, if Christ isn't raised, then I'm still in my sins. You're You're not a citizen of the kingdom of God, if that's true. But Christ is raised. Verse 18, then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What he's saying is we shouldn't have hope only in this life. Verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, what he's saying here is apart from the reality of Christ's resurrection, your life is vain, your life is without purpose, your life is empty, your life is aimless, your life is fruitless. But since Christ has been raised from the dead, you have the opportunity to live in the reality of that and live a life that is fruitful, that has a mission. That's what verse 58 says here. Turn to the last verse of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 58 says it well. Therefore, what is that therefore, therefore? There's 58 verses that talk about the resurrection, trying to convince the Corinthians that not only did Jesus raise from the dead, but they will physically rise from the dead, trying to help them get a hangover helper to break out of their drunken stupor and their hazy thinking about reality and eternity, to live in view of eternity. And so all those 57 verses, now here is the command. Here's the command. And what does it say? Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. What does that mean, steadfast? Be steadfast, anchored to the doctrine of the resurrection of the body of the Christian. Be immovable. 
Don't be moved by the currency of the day, by the philosophy of the day, that only our souls are immortal, but be immovable that you will have a resurrection body one day because Christ has a resurrection body. And the result of all that is what? Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I opened this sermon with an illustration about my time in Germany. I would like to close the sermon with the same illustration. You see, friends, I was in Germany not because every year I chose to celebrate the 4th of July. I was in Germany living the reality of the 4th of July every day of my life. You see, I swore a commission, an oath, as an officer of the U.S. Army. I swore that I would support and defend the Constitution, which was written on the 4th of July, 1776, or thereabouts, that I would support and defend the Constitution from all enemies, foreign and domestic. And I was in Germany to do that work against the Soviets, who back then were the big, bad, evil empire. The daily reality of the Constitution, of the, of the Independence Day that I celebrated on the 4th, formed my life. Formed my life. It gave me a mission. And in the same way, the daily reality of Christ's resurrection must form your life. It must give you a mission. For those of you who are part of the church and at the boundaries, I, I beg you, see the resurrection of Christ and God's call on your life as the mission that forms you daily. It speaks to you about how you use the time God's given you, the talents God has given you, and the treasures God has given you. You are commissioned with a far greater commission than I had. I enjoyed my time as an officer in the army. It was a privilege to serve this country. But now we all have a commission if we're in the kingdom of God, if the reality of the resurrection, that our sins are forgiven, we have a relationship with God, we have a new commission. It's called being a Christian. And that commission should speak to how we live our lives daily. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that our deeds on earth will follow us into eternity. Dear friend, That's the hope of a meaningful life. Because Christ went before us. He is our example. He will give meaning to the lowest servant. He will give meaning to the smallest task done in his name. Oh, I pray that that hope would populate your understanding and change how you live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give my friends great hope this morning. Lord, thank you that you are risen. That at the right hand of God the Father sits a man, Jesus Christ, with a resurrected body. As a down payment for my resurrected body one day. Lord, it's hard for me to see that and understand it. Father, at times I don't live according to that. And I know there are my friends that don't live according to that here. At times, I I love this world. I love my pleasures. My my vision is foggy. I'm in a drunken stupor. 
Would you by your spirit wake us up? Deliver us. Just, just as your head is bowed, I just want to pray for you. If you're sitting there thinking, Al, I, in a certain area of my life, I have lived dishonorable with no view to eternity. I've, I've mortgaged my future using, using a credit card of sin and indulgence, selfishness, and the debt is overwhelming to me. I owe 100000 200000 and I'm pretty, I'm pretty desperate right now. I just want to pray for you for a moment. Lord, I pray for that individual. That what they would see today is, yes, their sin. Perhaps they're coming out of the drunken stupor. They've got a bad headache. Their stomach is upset. They feel terrible. Oh, Lord, may that move them to you. May it draw them to the cross where you and you alone live the perfect life for them. Always obeying the Father. Always obeying the Father. And then be crucified for their sin. Just receive right now, friend, hope that as you develop a robust doctrine of the resurrection of Christ and its implication that you will be resurrected bodily, that morally what you do on this body matters, and that in Christ, as you abound in the work of Christ, you have hope. May that right now populate your thoughts and overcome the despair and give you hope. Father, give hope now. In Jesus' name to my friends. Because, Lord, there is a day that all creation's waiting for. May we live today in light of that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and conclude our message by singing this song, There is a Day. Would you look this way? Let me just conclude with giving you a blessing that comes from Scripture comes from this passage and receive this as a blessing for you my friend if you're a citizen of the kingdom of god if the reality of the resurrection of christ is more than just an annual holiday for you but it's a daily reality listen to your future and let this encourage you in your fight against sin and your suffering and your pain and the pain of your family and friends perhaps the pain of this fallen world that you're aware of and trying to do something about oh listen to our hope i tell you this brothers flesh and blood shall not inherit the kingdom of god nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. That's our hope, friends. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when, when the imperishable puts on the the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality then, then, then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory I see God standing over death mocking it, an appropriate mocking an appropriate mocking death where's your victory oh death where's your sting i'll tell you the sting of death it's sin oh yeah we feel it and the power of sin is the law but here it goes thanks be to god who gives us the victory through our lord jesus christ may the hope of the resurrection of christ give you great victory may you be steadfast in this doctrine may you be immovable and may you always abound 
in the work of the Lord because he first worked for you on the cross and was raised by the Father. Amen and amen. God bless you. God bless you.